The common lectionary right now in this part of the year is following Jesus' ministry through the gospel according to St. Mark. We're almost to the end of Jesus' life and ministry. He's still in Galilee, but in a couple of days he'll be traveling to Jerusalem and he wants to prepare his disciples for this. So listen to this story from Mark chapter 9. Jesus and his friends went on from there through Galilee and he did not want anyone to know it. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be killed by his enemies, and they will kill him, and three days after he will rise again. But Jesus' friends did not understand this and were afraid to ask him about it. And so they came to Capernaum, and when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, So what were you arguing about along the way? But Jesus' friends were silent, for on the way they'd been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Jesus sat down and he called the twelve and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last among you and the servant of all. And then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child welcomes me. And not just me, but the one who sent me. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. I done wrestled an alligator, tussled with a whale. Handcuffed lightning through thunder in jail. Only last week I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitalized a brick. I'm so mean I make medicine sick. Thus Muhammad Ali on his inimitable athletic prowess. He never tired of reminding us that he was the greatest. I bet a lot of you stayed up late last night so that you could watch the greatest monologue in the history of Saturday Night Live. Donald Trump was host. So what were you arguing about along the way? Jesus asks his friends, but they're embarrassed to tell him because they've been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Sometimes it seems like our whole common life together is one long argument about which of us is the greatest, right? So this, as I said, happens near the end of Jesus' ministry. He's still in Galilee, but he'll be headed to Jerusalem in a couple of days, and he knows exactly what's waiting him there, for him there, and he's trying to prepare his disciples for it. So he says, the Son of Man must suffer humiliation at the hands of his enemies and be killed and rise again on the third day. Now Jesus wants to get this point across that he says this three times Three ways. This is the second of three times that he says exactly this. Mark tells us, though, that the disciples did not understand what he was talking about and were too scared to ask him about it. And so after this brief and bootless lesson plan, the teacher and his students head out on foot for the next great adventure, and on the way, the disciples get caught up in this conversation. Jesus is not part of it. Because in ancient Jewish tradition, you see, the students would always walk a few paces behind the great rabbi out of deference and respect. So Jesus doesn't know what they're talking about. And when they arrive at their destination in Capernaum, Peter's house probably, when they arrive, Jesus asks out of politeness, I guess, oh, what were you talking about 
back there because even the Son of God wants to know what's going on in interesting conversations, right? But they don't want to tell him because they'd been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Right after he told them the Son of God must be humiliated. In his film Scoop, Woody Allen plays the mild-mannered Nebuchadnezzar Sidney Waterman, who in his other life on stage is the flashy magician and showman, the great Splendini. When someone asks Sidney what religion he is, the great Splendini answers, I was raised in the Jewish persuasion, but when I grew up, I converted to narcissism. Anybody know anybody like that? Peter, James, and John were raised in the Jewish persuasion, but when they grew up, they converted to narcissism. The first shall be last, and the last first, says Jesus to his disciples. And Jesus is right about that, isn't he? Isn't it the self-forgetful who rise like cream to the top, and the self-absorbed who drop to the bottom like a bag of hammers? Isn't it the leader with a servant heart that we crave, all of us? See, my friend Colin is here today. He's a baseball fan, so I've got to give you some baseball. In 1997, I made the mistake of moving my son close to New York City. And I say that was a mistake because as soon as I got him close to New York City, he became a Yankee fan. Can you believe this? He would start wearing Yankee caps all over the place. In my house, <laughs> lifelong Tiger fan, a Yankee cap. But, you know, I had to be honest, it was hard to argue with his new allegiance to the Yankees because those late 90s Yankees were such great ballplayers. They won four world championships, 96, 98, 99, and 2000. And not only that, they were such great people. You know, Bernie Williams, Paulie O'Neill, Derek Jeter, Tino Martinez, Mariano Rivera, David Cohn. This is way before Alex Rodriguez. Roger Clemens played, in, Clemens played on some of those teams, but let that pass for a moment. And best of all about those late 90s Yankees was Joe Torre, Coach Joe Torre. The only major leaguer ever to hit 2,000 hits as a player and have 2,000 wins as a manager. And his players loved him so much because he, was, he had this servant's heart. He was so self-forgetful and so humble. When anybody would mention the year 1971, when Joe batted 363 and won the National League MVP award, Joe would always remind them that the next year his average dropped 70 points to 289, and then he'd share a memory from 1975 when he was playing third base for the Mets, and he hit into four double plays and had an error. Four double plays in one game. That's the first thing Joe would tell you about himself. I remember one year during those times when Mike Mussina was the ace of the Yankees pitching staff, and they were paying him $19 million a year to strike out Mets and Cubs and Tigers. But at one point in that season, he was pitching so badly and getting so clobbered that he lost his position in the starting rotation. And when reporters asked Joe what he thought about Mussina's performance, Joe says, well, he's probably not as proud of his stuff as he'd like to be. Not, he's an underperforming, overpaid multimillionaire with an ERA of 5.15, but he's probably not as proud of his stuff as he wants to be. Mike Mussina said, I'd play for that guy anytime. 
or from the ridiculous to the sublime. This past April, a lot of us got together in the sesquicentennial year of the Civil War anniversaries, you know, all these 150th anniversary of Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural and of the surrender at Appomattox and of Abraham Lincoln's assassination. We got together to think about these things and we sort of all agreed, as I think probably most Americans would, that Lincoln was the greatest. And this is why, he, paradoxically, he might have been at one and the same time the most humble and the most self-secure of any president we've ever had. It's kind of an irony, isn't it? Humble and self-assured. And this, this servant heart, the servant spirit was so contagious. It was viral. Pretty soon it infected all the people around him. His extraordinarily talented cabinet and then his generals in the field. And so that when during Holy Week of 1865, 150 years ago, when Robert E. Lee surrenders to Ulysses S. Grant at Appomattox Courthouse, these Confederate soldiers are not hanged, they're saluted. They're not jailed, they're honored, they're not humiliated, but embraced. Said Joshua Chamberlain, Bowdoin College professor who'd won a Medal of Honor at Gettysburg, the Union soldiers universally saluted these vanquished heroes, a token of respect from Americans to Americans. Back in Washington, President Lincoln is asking his military band to strike up a strain of Dixie to honor his fallen foes. What were you arguing about along the way? Jesus asks his friends, and they're too embarrassed to tell him. And Jesus says, whoever wants to be first among you must be last, the servant of all. And then he reaches down and picks up a child. He's in St. Peter's house. So this is probably St. Peter's son, right? Picks up a child and says, whoever welcomes this child welcomes me, and not just me, but the one who sent me. In other words, whoever's not too self-important to change these diapers, to kiss this wounded knee, to bathe this child, whoever will listen patiently to these dithering, meandering conversations, and tiresome knock-knock jokes. Whoever will teach this child the stories of the Bible or the rules of arithmetic, whoever will respect the disrespected and honor the powerless and lift up the weak and show patience to the clueless, that's the person who's understood the point of human existence. He took a child in his arms. Do you know who Stephanie Hoch's child is? Or John Grand, Stephanie and John run the bookstall in Winnetka. And Stephanie and John were here with a few of us on Wednesday to tell us what good books to read. And Stephanie and John told us to read, among other things, this book by Kate Clifford Larson called Rosemary. And so I did. Do you know who Rosemary is? It's on the New York Times bestseller list this morning, by the way. Rosemary was the third child of Joe and Rose Kennedy. Her older brothers were Joe Kennedy Jr. and Jack Kennedy. As a young woman, Rosemary was five feet, eight inches tall, statuesque, and beautiful, so that when she entered a room, men froze. But then they'd go over and talk to her, right, to ask her to dance, and then everything would fall apart 
because all her life, Rosemary had the mind of a child. I don't know what's the politically correct way to talk about these things in 2015, but Rosemary was differently abled. That early in the 20th century, when Rosemary was a child, most of the people like her would grow up in institutions, but Joe and Rose Kennedy had piles of money, so they kept Rosemary at home and enrolled her in mainstream schools with typical children. And all through Rosemary's childhood, her best friend was her sister Eunice, three years younger than Rosemary. And Eunice would spend hours swimming with Rosemary and playing tennis with her and running with her and trying to improve her physical coordination. And when she becomes a young woman, Rosemary will eventually enter an institution for reasons you'll discover if you read this book. But Eunice grows up too, and she never forgot those swimming times, those tennis matches, her athletic time with Rosemary. And she became a tireless campaigner for the rights of differently abled Americans. And perhaps her most spectacular achievement is the Special Olympics, right? Probably you, I didn't know this, but probably you knew this, where the first Special Olympics was held at Soldier Field. Joe Kennedy owned the Merchandise Mart and his son-in-law, Sergeant Shriver, was running the Merchandise Mart for him. So the first Special Olympics was at Soldier Field. There were 1,000 children from across the United States and Canada and 100 spectators in a football field built for 80,000. Today, there are 4 million children enjoying Special Olympics in 200 countries. Eunice Kennedy Shriver's brothers were Jack, Bobby, and Teddy, one U.S. president, two U.S. senators, and attorney general of the United States. Her husband was a vice presidential candidate for the Democrats in 1972. Her son-in-law is Arnold Schwarzenegger, governor of California. When Eunice died in 2009 at a great age, her obituary read, when the full judgment of the Kennedy legacy is made, the changes wrought by Eunice Kennedy Shriver may well be seen as the most consequential. I raised an eyebrow. Her brother was a war hero, PT-109. He faced down the Russians during the Cuban Missile Crisis. He created the Peace Corps. He got us started on our journey to the moon. Her other brother, Bobby, may have been after Martin Luther King and Lyndon Johnson, the most important civil rights worker of the 1960s. Her other brother, Teddy, campaigned tirelessly for healthcare reform. But the greatest might have been Eunice. She's a dame of the Papal Order of St. Gregory. In 1984, President Reagan awarded her the Presidential Medal of Freedom, highest civilian honor in the United States. And this is my favorite. Eunice Kennedy Shriver became a member of the Order of the Smile of the Polish Children. Isn't that a wonderful organization to be a part of, the Order of the Smile of the Polish Children. Other winners are John Paul II, Mother Teresa, Oprah Winfrey, Steven Spielberg, and Nelson Mandela. 
to the Kennedy legacy, war hero, president, senator, the greatest maybe is Eunice, the order of the smile of the Polish children. So, you know, go ahead and be a war hero. That's a great thing to be. Go ahead and run for the presidency of the United States. That's a great thing to be. But if you want to understand what Jesus was talking about, organize 100-yard dashes and 50-yard freestyles for children like Rosemary. Jesus lifted up a little child and said, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen.